Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, so he's often told me he took a lot of inspiration from the Star Wars RPG. Uh, He was a big Warhammer 40k player, so he's took some inspiration from some of their mechanics. Uh, He's taken some inspiration. He still has kept some of the D&D inspiration at the base, even though we've moved away from D20. Uh, They were mostly, I would say mostly the Star Wars RPG. And it's a hybrid. And is that the, the D6 West End one? Yes. Compared to other guests, Thomas is relatively new to the hobby, and it's interesting to talk to someone so new to role-playing. He's an author now, and he's applying his skills to writing RPG content. Thomas and I discussed the difference between authoring standard fiction versus game material. I enjoyed tracing the evolution of the Other Earths RPG, both mechanically and thematically. Stick around until the end, where we talk about Tolkien and his impact on Thomas's work. The game we talk about, Other Earths, is now available on Kickstarter. You can scroll down for the link, check it out. I want to give a quick shout out to some of our newest patrons. Peter Thomas, Joe Kale, William Payne, Jacob, Isaac Turner, Aid S, and Eli Greeson. Because of you and the 100 plus other patrons, we're able to put out content on a weekly basis. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Thomas. to unplug and play games around the table. Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we sit down with CEO, writer, and editor, Thomas Balding. He is with Infinite Odyssey Games the makers of the new Other Earths RPG. Now, they describe Other Earths as a unique role-playing experience with simple mechanics that smooth combat encounters but heighten social interactions. Players are mercenaries in a refugee city, the last remnant of a civilized society torn apart. But, because it's always an elf, an elf from another timeline conquered the world and genetically modified the mercenaries who now sell their services for the highest bidder. Holy crap, Tom, that's a lot of stuff. Yes, it is. (laughs) That sounds really, really cool, though. So, Thomas, welcome to the third floor. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, Tom, you got to go through the uh, normal baloney question that every podcaster is going to ask you, which is, uh, at one point in time, you knew nothing about tabletop gaming. You didn't know that you could... uh, write a bunch of stuff on a piece of paper and roll some dice and pretend to be somebody else. And then that day happened. So can we go back to when you first uh, came across tabletop gaming? Yeah. Uh, that day for me actually was quite recent, uh, relatively. 
back in 2016, I met our lead game designer, Joshua Hartley, uh, at just a job we both shared. And he was already working on this project, had been for a very long time at that point. And I had never played a pen and paper game, never had played D&D, anything like that. Didn't know the first thing about them. And he sort of, you know, began talking to me about these things he'd been writing. We became friends over it. And I expressed interest in just writing lore and, you know, because I had aspirations to be a fantasy writer. And he liked my material enough to bring me on. And he's sort of been the one who's exposed me to all of what I know now of the pen and paper world, which I admit, still quite limited. But... (laughs) This project has sort of sparked an interest in me to to learn more about it, and I have since played some Dungeons and Dragons, and you know watched some sessions of some other games like Call of Cthulhu. So I'm still dipping my toes into it, but yeah, you know, I've sort of been completely absorbed with this particular project. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Now it sounds to me like though that you had an interest in the geek world, right? It sounds like you were into fantasy uh, before encountering this. Yeah, I've always been. I've always liked writing. I've always liked you know creative. Uh, activities such as that so you know the idea that we could craft a world craft languages you know craft these stories always uh appealed to me and he had a lot of great ideas uh that i thought that you know i could help develop and everything like that and the game has changed quite significantly since that first day but we've kept these core themes that i was passionate about then and i'm passionate about now and i think that we've really uh I've really been allowed to sort of like, you know, express that sort of creative geeky side of myself through this game. And I've been very happy about that. So out of curiosity, writing, it's one thing to write a novel or a short story. And it's another thing to write a world um, that other people are going to interact with. Um, So how has that been different for you? So what's it like? Because you're, I mean, you're not really writing a story, a beginning, middle and end, right? It's something completely different. Yeah, so, you know, for me, I think the the biggest hurdle was the less is more philosophy, because <laughs> I tend to be quite like, you know, oh, I have to create all of these characters and situations and all these chapters and everything, and really what was required of it was, no, you have to make a cultural overview, or you have to make, you know, something that a player can digest in a reasonable amount of time and go forward with their role play. So for me, it was you know, sort of learning like when enough is enough and to, to, to when what was the most pertinent bits of information to someone who isn't going to sit down and read 400 pages of, you know, just my imagination. <laughs> sure, sure. So there's the perception of tabletop gaming, which you had before you got involved here, right? You you knew what D&D was, you'd seen, seen it on uh, Stranger Things and stuff like that. How did it match up to the reality? So when you first got your first couple games of playing an RPG versus what you thought it was going to be, what what was what you expected and what was different? Uh, it, so I guess uh, my expectation was always a little bit more of the stereotypical, like, oh, this is, you know, weird guys do this. You know, this is not for, it's going to be very geeky. People are maybe going to dress up. You know, it's going to be very intensive in the role play and, you know, not that I was ever truly burst to that, but I found that it was a lot more like what we're doing here, conversational, a lot more just like, you know, we're, we're kind of each being a little bit of a mini creator, you know, and we're just kind of figuring things out as we go along. It's not this sort of like grand scripted drama that I think like things like Stranger Things always like portray it to be a little bit more, right? It's not. So for me, that was a nice realization that like this is sort of organic, more organic than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, it's not as heavily... Uh, I'm struggling for the word, but it's not as heavily just like step one, two, and three. It's we start with step one and then we don't know where step two is. <laughs> you know? Sure. Sure. So I've got, a, I've had a couple of writers on the show that are also gamers. Um, uh, and 
it's interesting to me how one influences the other, right? So how does what they write or being a writer influence their play and how does their play influence their writing? So have you seen you change as a writer because of play or have you seen how you play influenced by being a writer? Uh, I think both to a certain degree. I would definitely say since I was primarily a writer first, play had more of an impact on the writing than vice versa because that was sort of like this new context that could then be reapplied back to my writing. Uh, I definitely would say that if I look back at the content I wrote in 2016 and 2017 versus what I'm writing now, not that I get to write too much these days at this stage, but it's it's very different, not only in just its tone, but in its construction. And I think a lot of that has to do with now I have experienced like what a player is going to need, what they're going to care about. And so when I go to sit down and write, I'm going to say, hmm, is this really something that I as a player would benefit from? And if the answer is no, then we might reconsider how I could redo this or just get rid of it entirely. So I think it's definitely had a big impact. So I'd be curious, though, let's let's fast forward to a day when you sit down and you write fiction again. Right. So not for gaming. Do you do you expect your your experience now with interactive gaming like this would impact that? I think it would. Um, I can't say in what way it might impact that. Uh, I guess it depends on what I sit down to do. But I can definitely see, like, if I try to write a short story now, you know, the prospect of two pages to tell, you know, several weeks worth of storytelling is not as daunting as it used to be. Uh, It used to be I was very verbose, and I'm still rather verbose, but it's definitely something where I can now approach very, like, complex or intensive stories and try to boil it down better. So I think it all goes back to that less is more philosophy. I think across the board, that has been my biggest learning curve and biggest takeaway. Very, very cool. Um, how about constructing stories though, right? So again, um, it's, you have to, when you're writing for an RPG, you're, you're writing a a framework, right? You're writing a world, you're writing a, a setting, um, do you think that that will impact your ability to then go back to writing actual stories? Uh, if by impact, you mean like, you know, will it, will I not be, if I, if I'm going to have trouble breaking away from that framework sort of practice where it's like, okay, what next? Like beyond the framework, what do we do? I don't think so simply because like in the writing of this game, because we're a very small team, I've been called upon not only to do a framework, but also to do some more expository material. So we still do get a little bit of practice in various types of like, I have to write this dialogue. I have to write this, you know, this uh, dramatic setting, right? This sort of action scene. And I think just keeping enough of that in there along the way sort of keeps you from falling into any one rut. So it sounds to me like, Tom, that um, in some form, this Other Earths game existed before you were a part of it. Um, Long before yeah, so so can, let's run up to until Tom comes a part of this. So can you kind of uh, let me know where things started and where uh, you got in, uh, became, what state it was in when you became a part of it? Yeah, so the, the beginning seeds of the game and of the, the company itself started back in 2009. Uh, like I said, my, our lead game designer, my good friend Joshua Hartley, and several of his friends at the time were big pen and paper enthusiasts. And they came together to homebrew some games uh, because they liked Dungeons and Dragons and everything, but they wanted more sci-fi and they wanted to uh, create their own world where they could mix like modern weaponry and medieval weaponry and magic and science and make these things cooperate. And 
through the course of playing these campaigns and coming up with these new items and rules and ways to interact things, they it slowly took shape. And there were several of them who said, hey, we could really make something out of this. Uh, the game sort of progressed on that course until about 2014, uh, where they decided to uh, change a couple of fundamental principles of the D20 system. So they moved to two general actions instead of just one movement action and one attacking action. So they were like, let's make this more flexible. And it sort of progressed in that vein, and they just kept adding on to that until I showed up in 2016. And I wasn't the main catalyst, but me and a few other people who joined on began this process of saying, hey, maybe we should move away from D20 and move towards D6 systems and sort of take this sort of hybrid system that we see from other games and strip it down. And so the game has sort of taken shape, at least mechanically, in that way since 2009. Lore-wise and setting-wise, uh, it went pretty much uninterrupted all the way up to 2016. And around 2017, we sort of went back to the drawing board and, and took a hard look at it and said, we can do this a lot differently. We can utilize these systems in a lot more new and interesting ways. So even from the time that I've arrived to now, the lore and setting of the game has changed drastically. So do you have a sense, Tom, um, so if I were to sit down and read mechanically, not, not the setting or anything, but just, just this D6 mechanics, do you have a sense of where I would see the influences? Um, do we know where Joshua and, and his group kind of pulled in and, and built this from? So what, what some of the foundations were? Yeah, so he's often told me he took a lot of inspiration from the Star Wars RPG. Uh, he was a big Warhammer 40K player, so he's took some inspiration from some of their mechanics. Uh, he's taken some inspiration. He still has kept some of the D&D inspiration at the base, even though we've moved away from D20. Uh, they were mostly, it was, I would say mostly the Star Wars RPG. And it's a hybrid. And is that the, it's the D6 West End one? Yes. And so, and he's played, you know, I, he hasn't given me the full list of all the games he played back between 2009 and 2016. So I'm sure there's more in there that he's taken from here and there. Uh, one of his, I would say, one of his greatest hobbies, you know, in, in this hobby is he takes things that he likes and he says, you know, he's like, how can I make that work in this new and interesting way? So much like, you know, any author today is going to draw upon all these inspirations, maybe too many to count. It sort of is an amalgam of all these different things, but those are the main influences. So you come onto the team, um, and obviously, you know, you're, you're a new voice, a new perspective on it. And um, it sounds like there was a period of time where you iterate and then, th- you know, threw a good bit of it away and started again. Um, can we go back to that moment? So, like, who was the first person to say, like, we need to start all over? Uh, it was actually a, it, there was me at the time, there was three of us that were still involved with the project. And me, Joshua, and the third, Matthew. And it was Matthew who was the first. The project had kind of slowed down a bit. Uh, We were all going through busy periods in life. And I guess maybe we just didn't uh, see the drive at that moment, you know. And I think he was the one who stepped forward first and said, I think if we revitalize this material with all of our new mechanics, I think we would feel a lot differently. I think the reason that we've sort of hit this wall is we aren't as passionate about what it is we're writing as we could be. And it was a hard pill to swallow because you worked so on this. I've so got to know what the reactions were, especially for Joshua. I mean, oh yeah, I kind of yeah. It was easier for me because I was like I was not yeah. as married to as much material. Joshua, you know, definitely. 
but he did see the merit in it and I have to give him credit for that. And he was willing to sort of go back to the bones and work back out from there. And I think what we've created before was a little bit more cookie cutter. I don't think it really, because it sort of developed organically from these other games, it never strayed too far from these other games and settings. And we really went back to the board and said, let's do something new. Let's do something unique. What is the story we want to tell completely you know, untethered from all these other stories that we've been dodging around. And I think that really shines through in the new game. And I think that's why we, for the last two or so years that we've really been able to actually three years now that we've really been able to keep on a good course with it and really keep our heads to the ground, you know, nose to the grindstone. So I, I get the book in my hands and I'm flipping through it and I'm reading all the lore and just, uh, just consuming everything that you guys have put together since, since cutting it down to the bones what will I see there that existed before the cataclysm, right? So before you guys said we're starting all over again, something must have jumped over, right? Something survived. So, so what, what survived the, the, the stripping down? A lot of the uh, general cultures survived the stripping down. So our game is not Earth-centric. Uh, it takes place across multiple timelines, multiple versions of Earth, hence the name. And... A lot of the cultures that existed in the game previously survived. They've been revitalized, obviously, but the core principles of those cultures and what drives them and their interaction with the world has remained the same. Uh, the settings that they are in and the reasons that they have been brought into this are different, obviously. A lot of characters have survived because most of our main characters actually began as playtesting characters, just characters we we made ourselves, and we've changed them as we've changed, but... So a lot of those things have have survived the the cutting it cutting floor. I'm trying to get a sense of all right. So you finally, you know, Matthew says we got to start over. Tom, you're married to it, but not as long as Joshua said. All right, you know what? He's got a point. Let's do this. And Joshua finally gets talked into it and realizes the merit in it. Um, what's day two, right? So what's next after you've committed to the fact that we're going to start again? So day two is, it was, a, it was a much slower process than I think we originally intended it to be. <laughs> uh, it was sort of like, all right, it's day two, day three, day four, day five, all the way to day 50 is sort of the first steps forward of, well, if not this, then what? And it started very basically with, what do we want to keep? That list had to, you know, find itself. And then, okay, if we want to keep these things, how do they work? And... That went for everything from items and bits of lore and cultures. And once we had that framework, the way forward became a lot easier because what we found was the game had grown to this point where a lot of the things that were together didn't work as well as we wanted them to. So it did force us to sort of go back and say, you know, this could be done better. And if it's done better, that will have ripple effects across everything else. So everything from the lore and the items and just like how you cast magic spells and how you attack sort of organic, like organically created a new framework where it's like, these things can all be harmonious. Yeah, that makes sense. So is it still the three of you guys working on the game there? We have a larger team now. Uh, okay. Me and Joshua are still, you know, full steam ahead. We've brought on, I would say about seven other people wow. at current uh, mostly in a writing and editing capacity because the game itself is complete. For the most part, it's all been laid down in print. And at this point, we're shoring up finer points of the lore, editing everything, getting ready to format it in preparation for uh, a launch next year. So 
yeah, the team has grown quite significantly even just in the past six months. Uh, people have shown, you know, we even have other independent game designers who have helped beta test and they've now wanted to sign up on our team. So we're very proud of the response that we've gotten thus far. And I think it is due to, you know, that sort of restructuring we just talked about. But the team has grown quite a bit. So, I mean, when it was three of you, that's that's a good, that's a pretty big writer's table. But now, you know, you've got a much larger writer's table. Can you give you an idea from a project management standpoint and from a process standpoint? Like, how does all of this happen with all of these voices and all, all of these different viewpoints? And how, how does it all come together and, and still sound coherent at the end? So I think... We had a very large library of material already, uh, and every new writer and every new editor that we brought on, you know, it's very important to us that they meet with us, read the lore, talk about it with us. We're very open to questions, you know, suggestions, uh, and we just sort of tried to promote this environment of, at, you know, ask, ask away. No stupid question exists, and it's forced us not only to look at a lot of our lore, you know, in new ways, but also to make allowances for things that could be done better with a new perspective. But, you know, we just put a great stress on, you know, it's like communication. And that communication sort of helps even these very, like, you know, new and different voices and perspectives to find the middle and find this cohesive whole. Um, so, how, like, like mechanically, though, so, like, do you assign this to to bob and then that goes to sue or like like how does this happen so i've stepped away mostly from writing at this point to deal with like obviously doing things like this management you know preparing for different things uh josh has taken over basically him and another person have taken neil have taken over uh writing delegation so they sort of funnel everything through them everything comes back to them and it's just this constant ebb and flow of working on material but they keep it centralized and still Joshua and Neil. So you said that, you know, the game is done, uh, but there's different levels of done, right? So if, if I were to uh, sneak into your house tonight and grab the current copy of other earths, what would I find? So you can play the game. Uh, you will find a full set of rules. You'll find fully fleshed out character creation, you know, general lore about all of our cultures and timelines. You'll find enough to start your own campaign uh, mostly the thing we're working on at the moment is we're working on uh, additional mission campaigns, uh, expansions, different things like that. And like I said, shoring up some of the finer lore points that are not necessary for playing the game, but, you know, important for any professional publication. But yes, it is a full, at this point, the game is functioning. You can sit down and you can run a campaign in our game with all of the rules that we have laid out. Very, very cool. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to kind of step away from kind of the process um, uh, that Tom and that whole team has gone through uh, to get where they are with other Earths. And I want to talk about the actual game itself. So uh, we'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. You like science fiction, right? love playing games 
maybe even role-playing games. But what if you can't get your friends together for a game night? If you love games like Mothership or Orbital Blues, check out Dead Belt, a card-based space western solo strategy RPG about skillful and desperate scavengers picking over the remains of junked starships in hopes of a juicy payday. In it, you deal with lurking dangers, push your luck, and walk away with enough cred to keep on flying. Of course, you might get eaten by lurking aliens, or run afoul of rival scavengers, or face the murderous ghosts of long-dead spacers. <laughs> no one said life in the dead belt was going to be easy. For more information on this and all of Sean and Abby Drake's games, swing over to acoupleofdrakes.com. The link's in the show notes. So it's funny because, you know, I never quite know whether to put, you know, the chicken first or the egg first. And it, um, you know, it's one thing it's like, you know, let's talk about the whole game, but then I want to find out how it was made and stuff. And so, you know, now that I've got a sense of the process, right, the decision making that that where it started, where it ended and where it is now and what's left to be done. Let's take a bigger step back. Um, I take the back cover of Other Earths. And what does it say on the back cover? What's the blurb tell me about just the overall concept? So basically what I would describe it as is it's a sci-fi fantasy adventure that focuses on this conflict that has arisen among these different versions of Earth. Uh, basically, there was a technology that was discovered on one version ran by elves, inhabited by elves, that allowed them to travel between timelines. No one quite knows where that technology originated from, but it now has exposed them to other planets. And a conquest ensued, as we believe it inevitably would. And this has, you know, encompassed humans, including our own planet Earth. Uh, it's elves, orcs, and any intelligent race that exists across the multiverse that has been discovered thus far. And you play as mercenaries trying to resist the, you know, the oncoming tide of this elven conquest that has savaged several worlds thus far. So if, if I'm playing a mercenary, who's hiring me? So there's many factions within the city. Uh, there's the city council. There are the rich and powerful elite. There are criminal organizations. And they all have their own motives and driving forces, and they're all at odds with one another. But there is a certain unifying factor insofar as we must survive, and we must you know protect ourselves from these elves at all costs. So you do end up, even if you're play for whoever's the highest bidder and sometimes at odds with the others, you do end up uh, having to defend the whole. So you, it, it's a, so it is mercenary, but it's also a little bit of a freedom fighter type flavor to it then? A little bit. You yeah. play as what we call carbons. And okay. basically one of the cultures, one of the planets within the timelines had created this carbon technology uh, that genetically modified certain individuals. It originally had military applications and it allows you to just be more resilient, more endurance, and, you know, have better combat skills. So as such, you are top dollar. 
for most people, and you get away with a lot more than you normally would. Mm-hmm. So you become a very valuable tool in the fight, not only for power and control of the city, but also for, you know, ripping the control away from the invading elves. So you, you keep saying other worlds, and, and, and I'm trying to get a clear sense. Is this other Earths? So is every place I go an Earth, or yes. is there truly other worlds? So there's no space travel in the game. Gotcha. Uh, it is all interdimensional. So one day, in the year 1995, to be precise, our Earth, the skies opened up, and these elves appeared from a identical version of our Earth. Identical insofar as it's the same planet, different cultures, different technology, obviously different species. And Earth was subjugated, as have been several other planets by that time, and the war has gone on from there, planet to planet. And the current refugees are held up in another Earth planet uh, called Delahige. And basically, there's one city left that's surviving, and they branch out across the timelines to help fight the war where it erupts. So when I go across timelines, am I just going from the same time to different Earths, or am I able to go back and forwards in time on a single Earth? Uh, There's no time travel. So it's, you know, we call them timelines. You know, dimensions is also an appropriate thing. It's stepping through a portal. It's a wormhole, too. You will pop out, and if you're standing in Times Square in our world, you'll pop out right where Times Square would be in the other world. That makes sense. That makes sense. So now that I've got an understanding of kind of the world a little bit and what the player characters are, um, let's walk through the mechanics a little bit. And I think probably the easiest way to start is I sit down and you say, hey, Craig, we're going to play other play other Earths. I say, that sounds great. So you put a blank character sheet in front of me. What What is the process I'm going to go through from a blank character sheet to a character? So first you're going to pick your race, one of the three intelligent races, elves, orcs, or humans. Uh, You can then pick the timeline that they're from, which will determine certain racial bonuses, uh, the culture, obviously. And then you're going to fill out what we call your basics stats. That's brawn, agility, sense, intelligence, charisma, and stamina. And you will have a predetermined amount of points uh, to spend in those basics, and nothing can exceed, and that will determine directly the amount of dice you get. So anything can be from one to six, and you'll get one to six dice in that particular basic score. From there, uh, you will be granted a certain amount of experience tokens, a certain amount of starting currency, and you will buy slash equip certain equipment that you see fits, abilities, spells, anything that you want to do. It's a classless system, so you don't have to buy into, oh, I want to be a spellcaster, oh, I want to be a paladin. Whatever you decide you want to do in this game, you can have magic and high-tech equipment. You can have you know melee damage and high intellect and explosive devices. So we, we leave it up to the players. It's sort of this uh, rolling organic, like, hey, I've decided I want to try this out. And so it sounds like I have a certain budget for my base stats, right? And so I can shift that around and spend it there. And then it sounds like I have a budget for abilities, which are abilities like skills, that type of thing. Abilities range from uh, spells you can learn, skills you can acquire, abil- you know, a d- diplomatic abilities, uh Basically anything that's not a viable item or weapon. Got it. And then I have a certain allotment to equip my equip my character. Yes. Once you have completed this process, then you know you are ready to be launched into the game. All right. So I, so I've got my character. Um, I've decided, you know, which timeline or which version of Earth that they're from. I've got a um, a kin, a a, a, a race. I've got uh, stats. I've got equipment. I've got abilities. 
and I'm going to start playing. And I, the first thing I do is I run into somebody and I'm going to beat the hell out of them. So can you give me an idea um, of how combat works? So combat in our game, uh, we've tried to sort of pare the rules down and make it as quick as possible. So you're granted two actions per turn. Uh, but unlike D&D and some other games, both actions can be used for movement or attacking. So, and each, uh, each action can have a surprise round. So each turn, I should say, can have a surprise round. So basically you have the potential to have three actions per turn mm. if you get the element of surprise. And what we attempted to do with uh, that is we don't want to labor combat down with, oh, I've spent one action so I can't attack. You know, it's like we come at it from the perspective of in a real combat situation, things move very quickly. People are moving very quickly. I should be able to attack as many times as I can within my allotted time frame. I should be able to move as far as possible within my allotted time frame. And what we found is that really frees people up to sort of explore different avenues of combat. So it can go very quickly or it can go much longer if you decide to, you know, try different avenues. So if I t- uh, you're my GM and I say, okay, Tom, I'm I, I'm going to take my sword. I'm an orc and I'm going to I'm going to try to try to hit this elf with my sword. Um, so what do I do? So first, you're going to whatever weapon you're possessing. You know, let's say you have an agility score of four in your basics. I'm going to say, okay, roll four dice. And for a melee weapon, you need one success to hit, and a success is a five or a six. So once you've rolled that to hit, okay, so that's a successful attack. Now, whatever amount of wounds the weapon has, you roll the appropriate amount of dice for those wounds, and you'll match that against the armor rating of the enemy, and that's the damage that will be applied to them. And you can do that as many times as the weapon allows. The weapon might have four attacks per action. So you might be able to hit them four separate times in one action for eight times total across your entire turn. So you can potentially... If you're if you're getting good rolls, do a lot of damage in a single encounter. So it sounds like my target doesn't influence my success, right? So I need a five or a six. The number of d6s I grab is based off of my ability. But it sounds like my target does influence whether I damage or not. Is that accurate? Yes. So the target does not influence the hitting. That is how many successes you get. Did you make a gotcha. good swing? And, you know, if you are in certain conditions, like it's dark and you can't see, or you're using a ranged weapon and different things, those things will affect how hard it is to hit the target. So a ranged weapon is harder to hit with than a melee weapon, always. It's always two successes over one success. But once you've hit the target, then wounds are always rolled for against their armor and against any other resistances you might encounter. And I would assume, obviously, armor has to deal with real armor, right? So whatever I'm wearing, obviously, would influence that. Does other things inf- inf- um, influence my armor class? The only thing, uh, you can wield a shield, so that gives you an armor buff. Uh, really, we you can be in a vehicle, that gives you an armor buff okay. if you are inside the vehicle and being attacked from outside. So we've tried to keep it very realistic insofar as if I'm wielding a sword and an AR-15, there's not a lot you can do to stop me from hurting you if I hit you with those things. So it is mostly just dependent on what armor you equip yourself with and do you happen to be in a vehicle or behind cover. So it sounds to me, Tom, like if, if I compare it to this D&D, we've got a lot more happening per activation, right? Per player player turn. And then it's not, as a result, within a round, a lot more is happening because I would assume also that, you know, the NPCs are going to have the same amount of, you know, two full actions, potentially three with the surprise mechanic. Um, 
and obviously there's a huge variation here, Tom, but like how long, how many rounds does a typical fight go for? Uh, and I understand it's going to have a huge variation, but you know, in D and D you're looking at 10 to 15, right. And in GURPS, there's like two. <laughs> so like, where does other earths fall in that? We're probably leaning more towards GURPS. Uh, yeah. We're not quite as low as two on the average encounter. So if I have a party of four people and they're well-balanced and they're fighting a average, you know, melee urban encounter uh, i've typically we typically test played it to be between three and four rounds on an average and obviously you know bosses and everything like you said are going to get a lot higher than that but very rarely even with you know mid-level bosses would i would say we hit 15 rounds uh just because you know we are sort of operating under the principle of we want players to get more done in a shorter frame of time Four hours should get you through X amount of missions versus one mission in another game. So the blurb that I had uh, that you guys provided me about the game, you know, talks about the streamlined combat, which now makes sense to me that I've got a sense of what's happening there, but it also makes a big deal about the social interactions and how that's got a different look and feel. So can you walk me through what happens there? Yeah. So when we went through the reconstruction of our lore and mechanics, one of the big things we asked ourselves was how can we develop our diplomacy and talking ability to be more relevant in combat? Because that's one of the major pitfalls of some of the uh, other games we've been playing was we just don't feel like the talker class is given enough uh, independence in combat. So the first thing we did was we came up with what we call alarm level. And basically this is a rating that every single NPC, be it, you know, monster, person, boss, whatever, has towards you. And an alarm level of zero means they are your friend, they are completely at ease with you, they're your party member. And an alarm level of four means they are actively, they hate you, they want to kill you, they are actively attempting to do so. And there are very definite uh, signs within the game of what alarm level people are at. The G, That is a number the GM has access to. And talkers can have certain abilities and make certain checks that allow them to manipulate alarm level in a definite way. So if someone has their gun up on me and is telling me to get down on the ground, they're at alarm level three and they are ready to pull the trigger on me. And my talker can, through certain actions of theirs and successful roles, get them down to alarm level two. They'll put the gun down. They won't be completely at ease with me. I'll still have to talk my way out of this, but at least the next wrong step we make is not immediate combat. And even after combat has started, alarm level is still in play and it is potential to diffuse combat through alarm level and different means. So we just try to give the talkers a more independent ability to affect combat situations than they're typically given. That's that's cool. That's, that's a little bit different. I like that concept. And I would imagine that the GM is also, you know, regulating the alarm level outside of PC actions, right? I would imagine the world can impact alarm level. Yes. So, you know, if you do, if you're not in a combat scenario, but you do something in the world, you know, let's say you steal from a market vendor and that's going to affect the alarm level of the vendors around you, the people around you, the guards around you, even though combat has not been a situation yet. So, and you may not have directly interacted with some people. So the next time you go, if they make a note of that, they have a mechanic that says, when you go back to that vendor, instead of being alarm level one, they're alarm level two to start out with. And you now have a harder time dealing with that vendor. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. So we've made my character. 
You've ta- you've taught me what ha- how do how I swing my sword and shoot my gun and, and you know put on my shield. I understand the combat interactions. I understand the concept of alarm level. And you say, Craig, now now it's time to play. So for three and a half four hours, you run me through uh, a session with me and my buddies. And at the end of it, I'd be curious when you've done that. What are some of the hot takes? So as you've run new people through this game, as new people have tried this game, what are some interesting comments or insights that that you're hearing? Uh, One of the things we've gotten a very positive review on that people have wanted to have more of is we have a lot of abilities directly related to role play and how you play your character. So I I like to play talkers, so I'm going to talk about talkers. I don't want to harp on that. But, you know, we have several abilities as a talker, aside from alarm level, where if I tell a, uh, if I lie and tell a relevant story that I actually have to say out loud to the GM, and the GM gets to decide if it's pertinent enough to give me that extra dice, I get one more dice roll on this bluff check. And, you know, if I know the character's name and I use their name when I address them, I get an extra dice. Or if I'm in combat, right? And if I do certain things in combat intentionally, I'll get extra dice, right? Like if I intentionally duck in cover first, there's an ability, right, that will allow me to give my opponent one less dice against me if I got that off before they attacked me. So there's all these things that sort of promote these motion within the world and role play within the world that we try to incorporate. And it helps our players thus far, our beta testers, to feel more immersed in what's actually happening versus just... It's me sitting at a table rolling some dice. Now it's my characters in the world, and I have to see how would my character react to this. That's mechanically right. The feedback you've gotten mechanically, and that's and that's that's very interesting. Um, and, and some and some different insights. How about the world? So, what are people that are playing this game for the first time, or they're getting involved in the playtest and stuff? What are they saying about the setting that 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 they're really gronking? Uh, I think the biggest thing we've gotten back positively about our setting is sort of like the the fact that it's not Earth-centric, the fact that we're not telling a human story. But, I mean, humans are in it, Earthlings are in it. Right. But we're still representing a lot of varying cultures and a lot of alternative history. So we have human cultures where, you know, the it's Earth, but the Mongol Empire never fell apart, you know, until way later. So how did that affect the history of the Earth? Or the Russians won the Cold War. And different things like that. And these are races that are together and interacting with each other that have these different backgrounds. And then the elves and the orcs are different. So one of the big things that they love is that there's so much diversity in this game as to what are the motivations, what are the backgrounds, what are all these cultures coming together that are very similar sometimes, but fundamentally not the same. Very, very cool. So um, speaking of time travel, it's a little bit what's happening right now. So Tom and I are recording this um, in November, and we'll be dropping this when the uh, launch happens, right? So there's going to be a period of time between when Tom and I are talking and then when this actually comes out. So um, can we talk a little bit, Tom, kind of what that game plan is? Do you guys have a sense of of how we're going to launch this thing, when we're going to launch this thing? Yeah, so we've been in discussions. Uh, Like I said, the game is completed for the most part, and we're just working in the final stages of formatting the book, uh, making sure all the arts is, you know, procured and ready to be laid out. So we have planned a January uh, launch for a Kickstarter and everything, and we're going to sort of go full both guns blazing on that and move forward into the new year with plans to release the uh, alpha edition of the Player's Handbook as a Kickstarter benefit, and then later the beta. We estimate that the full hardcover, fully rendered uh, handbook will be sometime later in 2022. 
uh, if the kick, especially if the Kickstarter is successful and we've got everything underway. Obviously, the more we get, the faster it will go. And that's sort of our beginning strategy going forward. Beautiful. So for the people listening, obviously, if you scroll down right now, you're going to have a link to the Kickstarter. But um, what other uh, links should we uh, put out there for them, Tom? So what are some other places that they should explore? Uh, so we're in the process right now of refining and developing our website. Uh, in fact, we've just taken on a new team member who is going to be managing the very crude website that I developed, since I'm not a web developer in the slightest sense of the word. But uh, we also have two writers now on the team who are going to be managing our Patreon, who are in the process of developing the first content to release when the Patreon goes up. And we also have several sources of social media linked through our website, Instagram, Twitter, everything like that. They're, as of recording this in November, they're pretty bare bones. But our plan is hopefully by the time that you all are listening to this, that you know, there will be some good content and you can go and check us out over there. Beautiful. And we've got links to all of that in the show notes as well. All right. So the last question that all my guests get, Tom, um, is what are you consuming right now that you are absolutely loving? And it can be games you're playing, movies you're watching, books you're reading. But um, if you're a creative type and you're involved with this kind of things, I always find that uh, I find it interesting to find out what like what you're obsessed with right now. I have actually been I just ended I've gotten out of a video game phase. So I was playing a lot of like role-playing games sort of like kingdom come deliverance different things like that i was sort of going into like this hardcore realistic you know role-play stuff i i'm now switching back more towards fantasy novels different things like that uh i just revisited some of the classic tolkien materials the silmarillion different things like that and just Ooh, sort that's of hardcore this, reading that man uh, yeah it, well, it was on my list for a very <laughs> long time and i was like ah, i've read the lord of the rings i've read the, i love the hobbit as a child I, I need to know more because that is sort of where my heart lies i like the nitty-gritty i like the hard sure. details so anything i can find like that in fact i have another lord of the rings book waiting for me that i haven't cracked open yet but so just it's, it's sort of in flux right now but anything i can get my hands on that sort of goes deeper into the world building of things and how one interacts with that world so what does your gut say about uh, the Netflix? Is it Netflix or Amazon? I think it's Amazon that's doing the uh, the new Lord of the Rings TV series. Um, do you have any kind of oh, gut guesses? Or are, you, are you optimistic or pessimistic? I'm hopeful. I haven't, I've intentionally stayed away from like seeing anything about it because I'm just Good sort of like, you. I don't want anybody's opinion or any you know trailer or anything that might not have been super what I wanted to see to influence me. I'm going to go in with completely open eyes. But I really, I mean, Tolkien was one of my first inspirations, if that wasn't made apparent already, of wanting to be a fantasy writer, which I know sure. is probably most people's main influence in wanting to be a fantasy That's all right, writer. That's alright, but It's good. But, uh, so anything connected to that world he developed and those languages he created and those characters, I'm always very optimistic and passionate about. They, they, they can do a lot. Did you love the movies? I did. I, I was a super huge fan of the, the first Peter Jackson trilogy. The Hobbit was my favorite book as a child. In fact, it was the first uh, book I ever have a memory of reading myself when I learned how to read. And I would read it to my little brother. And so those movies I judged maybe a little bit more harshly. I liked them. They didn't evoke the same thing in me as the Peter Jackson uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy did. But they're all still great watches. I can sit down and just binge the whole thing. You know, extended editions, all that, anytime I feel like. <laughs> I can't watch anything but the extended extended uh, you lose on the so first much. three you yeah, lose like, so much you know, i almost have to have the book with me and i'm just like they left that out they left yeah. that out <laughs> he um he pulled that off and uh part of me wishes that he wasn't forced to extend out uh the hobbit because i'm like you i mean i 
I mean, the Lord of the Rings is the Lord of the Rings, right? Those three books are are what they are, but genre defining. Yeah, I mean they're amazing, but I'm a little bit like you that like my first love was The Hobbit, um, and it you know I know it's not nearly as epic, it's not nearly um, as big and powerful as the other three books were, and the other three books are good, but like put a gun to my head, I'd, I'd keep The Hobbit and get rid of the other three. It's uh, got soul, I don't man. Have to. Yeah, no, it's I'm got the same. soul. Yep, I feel the same way. Uh, so, Tom, this is a real pleasure, man. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having me. All right. And for those of you listening, you listen to the whole thing. So I appreciate you, too. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, Floorheads. you still here wow um well the episode is over but if you're bored why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month yeah you can just scroll down scroll down and yeah get the link it's patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible don't you want to join the other floorheads on the patreon discord anyway Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.